Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And the Cavaliers recently have had a bit of a tough stretch. I mean, they had a torrid start, and then all of a sudden the injuries started to pile up, and then the schedule started to, you know, get a little tougher. They faced uh, the Brooklyn Nets a couple times, faced uh, the Boston Celtics, they faced the Golden State Warriors, um, they faced the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they've had a tough stretch of games, so... After starting out so strong, Cavaliers now are nine and ten on the season. They were nine and five at one point, now nine and ten. So um the bad news for the Cavs is they they lose Colin Sexton for the year, and we will definitely get into that. Uh, but Chris, potentially, let's start with the good news. Looks hmm. like um Evan Mobley might be back for tomorrow night's game, tomorrow night being fr- uh Saturday night against the Orlando Magic. Yeah, so I mean the the thing that's been so interesting about Evan is when the MRI results came down, um, I was in New York. I was at LaGuardia Airport, and I remember getting a couple of text messages from people, even though the timetable said between two to four weeks, multiple people inside the organization texted me and said it could have been a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so after the game that night that he injured it um, against Boston, the Cavs were bracing for the worst because that's kind of how they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially when it comes to somebody as important as Evan. Uh, they were all holding their breath. Nobody slept well that night. And then I got those text messages that said it could have been worse. And I was like, whoa, that's interesting. They say two to four weeks. Why would I get these text messages that say, you know, it could have been worse? And then the next game against Brooklyn. He's out there on the court before the game going through a workout. And I'm like, wait a minute, what the hell is going on here? I thought they just ruled him out for approximately two to four weeks. Now, at that time, Hayden, he was just doing left-handed stuff. He did not use his right hand or right elbow at all. Mm -hmm. And then two days later on that Friday, so three days after the MRI results came through, um, he was working with his right hand in a pregame workout. So you could tell from the very beginning that there was optimism that he could potentially beat the initial timeline. You could tell from the beginning that this is a guy who, because he's so young, because he's in such great shape, and because it was just such like a minor thing, it was such an innocuous injury, that there was a chance for him to recover quicker and be ahead of schedule. 
And then the other day when we talked to J.P. Bickerstaff, I asked him, I said, hey, you know, you guys had a practice. What was Evan able to do? And he said, uh, a lot. And then I said, okay, does that mean that he's ahead of schedule in his recovery? And then J.B. said what a coach would say. You have to talk to the medical staff, knowing full well that we cannot talk to the medical staff and nobody from the medical staff will really talk to us. Um, so at that point, when you start to see all these things behind the scenes, these workouts, extending his range to the three-point line, doing things with his right arm and his right elbow that he would normally be doing in preparation for games, you started to think that there was a real possibility that he was going to beat the the two to four week mark. And if he comes back tomorrow against Orlando, um, he'll beat the two week mark. Well, that would be very, very encouraging for the Cavaliers, given that he's been such a, you know, a big part of the season for them. And he really, um, you know, he's he's shown such good flashes and they, they miss him. They, they miss him. Oh, my they, God. Yeah. They're all in four without him. Right. They're all for without him. They miss him big time. I mean, he's, you know, he, he's the league leader, not only um, in contested shots, but I mean, he's he's a great defender to help them out on that side of the ball as well. But um, even without Evan, I mean, they've they've the Cavaliers have fought. They fought in a lot of these games. They've been in a lot of these games. Um, it's led to some, you know, to, to some comments from J.B. Bickerstaff saying, hey, you know, like we should get some of the respect in these calls that, you know, the, we, we deserve. We're not getting it right now. And um it's it's been good to see the Cavaliers kind of you know really really fight. It shows that there are a lot of pieces that are working that um, that obviously you know Evan can help with. And you look at um, what Ricky Rubio has been able to do. You look at Jetty Osman, and we we can get into all of them. I don't know where you want to start, Chris, because there's a lot of you know there's a lot we can get into in regards to um, those guys. But do you want to start with Colin first? I mean, obviously just him. You know what happened with his. Uh, with his injury and, and you, you know, you said maybe it, it could have been something where they could have surgery and could be out for the year. So um, that ended up being the case. And obviously that's a big blow to the Cavaliers, um, you know, in the short, the short term and the long term. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's just everybody involved, the doctors, the organization, Colin, Colin's family, the agent. Um, there was a belief that the best long-term approach was to take care of it the way that, um, they ultimately decided, which was going to end his season. And Colin is 22 years old. The Cavs still consider him a big part of the future of this organization. Um, he's in line for a payday this offseason. He's going to be a restricted free agent. So as much as he probably would have wanted to come back and, and be part of this team and continue to help them win and chase this playoff spot, um, the truth is there are a lot of factors that played into it. And when you heard from multiple doctors that told you the same thing and said, it's going to be best for you long-term to have this surgery, to do it right, to not rush a recovery, to not shortcut the process. I think everybody was in agreement that this was the direction to go because look, meniscus tears are really, really tricky. And that's the thing that we talked about from the very beginning of this Hayden is that depending on where the tear is, um, which side, and depending on the, the way that you're going to go about having surgery, there was always going to be a varying timeline, and there was always going to be a varying recovery process, and there was always going to be a varying length of a career. You know what I mean? So the last thing that Colin, a 22-year-old kid who is still 
um, yet to get the big payday that that sets him and his family up for life. The last thing that he wanted to do was to um, go about this process the wrong way. And it always is a process. Anytime you're talking about any injury, it always is a process. And there are always many, many factors that have to be considered. And I think everybody was on board with the decision that they ultimately made to to shut Colin down for the remainder of the season and to do this right. So it's a tough blow for Colin, tough blow for the Cavaliers, given that, you know, next year he's going to be a restricted free agent. And, um, you know, it, you're not going to be able to see him until then, um, see him on the floor. Um, but I think I think at the same time, I think I think it kind of makes things clear for the Cavaliers. Like, I think it makes, you know, obviously we'll give Isaac Okoro a chance. I think it gives, you know, Evan Mobley a little bit more of a responsibility. I think it gives Gar- Darius Garland a chance to really shine. I think that, you know, I, and I know that we've kind of had, you know, not necessarily differing. Listen, I think that Colin is an amazing kid. I think he works hard, his butt off, and I think he's an incredible scorer and can do that. I've always just had questions about his ability to, you know, work in with the offense and, and really be a, um, a, a, a player that helps other guys in the offense and a player that, you know, makes an offense uh, fluid. So I think now with him out, I think you start to get to see either it's going to play out one way or another to where I think they're either going to shine, like Darius is going to shine further and Isaac Coro is going to take that next step and Evan's going to shine the way that he has. And, um, you know, these guys are going to take a step in the right direction, or it's going to be a glaring hole where, man, we can't score without Colin. And, um, you know, thus far, it seems like, yes, there's been moments where they've, they've missed, you know, missed that scoring. But also there's been moments where Darius has stepped up and, and Isaac has stepped up. And now Jetty Osman is stepping up in different roles. And, um, you know, it'll be good to see Evan Mobley back on the uh, on the court, too, because, you know, not having him for these four games has been tough, um, you know, to to get sort of an evaluation on everybody else. I completely disagree. <laughs> I don't think Isaac Okoro has stepped up. I think he's been bad. Um, Jetty Osman was going to be in the rotation regardless of what happened with Colin, and it's great to see him knocking down shots and um, seeing him play at this level and seeing him become the best, most reliable three-point shooter that the Cavs have at this point. Um, And I think it's great that he's found a consistency within his role, um, within his usage, within his style, and within his production that he didn't have last year, but I think that's independent of Colin being there or not being there. And Darius Garland has been an abject disaster in fourth quarters since Colin Sexton got injured. Mm -hmm. Point blank period. Teams have focused their attention on Darius and they have completely flustered him. His -hmm. shooting percentages in fourth quarters are brutal. um, And it makes it easier and and this isn't to a fault of Darius, but it's just the reality of the situation. It makes it easier for defenses to approach Darius in a certain way because yeah. Colin's not out there with him. So um, to me, like, we can have these conversations about are they better with Colin? Are they better without Colin? The truth is every time he's on the court, he is a threat to the opposing defense. And even if it, it's not him making the play, and even if it looks ugly at times, the defense has to play the Cavs and Darius Garland a completely different way when Colin is out there compared to, yes, Ricky Rubio, yes, Jetty Osman, 
yes, Isaac Okoro, because Collins just a different level score. I'll put it, I'll put it this way, as an example. So the Cavs played Phoenix on October 30th for the first time. That night, Mikel Bridges, the best defender that Phoenix has, mm-hmm. was the guy that was matched up against Colin Sexton. So Colin being there for that first game against Phoenix took Phoenix's best defender and occupied him. Yeah. That allowed Darius Garland to play against Phoenix's second best defender, third best defender. And there's a trickle down effect, right? So the other night against Phoenix, the second time the Cavs played Phoenix, this time without Colin Sexton, who do you think was guarding Darius Garland? Right. It was Mikel Bridges. Right. So like that kind of thing doesn't always show up. But when you watch how a defense approaches the Cavs and the schemes that they implement against the Cavs, with and without Colin Sexton, there is a clear difference. And Darius Garland has felt that, especially in fourth quarters, with Colin being out. And JB talked about it the other night. JB Bickerstaff said the other night, Hayden, that it's something that Darius is going to have to figure out. It's something that we as a coaching staff are going to have to figure out because the ball is going to be in his hands for a majority of that fourth quarter. And the Cavs are going to look at him to take them home. And defenses are going to be geared up to try and slow him down. And defenses are going to switch on him. And defenses are going to send two bodies to him. And defenses are going to do things to him that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. No, I I definitely agree with that. I think think my point was more so that, you know, maybe it hasn't happened yet. But, I mean, you got a whole, what, they're, they're 19 games in. I mean, you got 60 games left to... To you know, see if if Darius can kind of you know make that leap and and become that fourth quarter guy, and then you know guys like Isaac as well. I mean, again, we've talked about Isaac a lot, and Isaac is a guy that he's you know he's pretty much still in his first calendar year in the NBA, mm-hmm. you know? right? You know, there's there's and he missed you know he's missed some time. So um, I think my point being is that like I think we know what Colin is in terms of his abilities. I think we're still learning what Darius and Isaac Okoro are, and this is an opportunity for them to, yeah, I think they're going to struggle at times, but um, I think it's an opportunity for them to really take the next step, you know, once they get it going and once they, you know, become more comfortable and more experienced with it. Um, And then obviously when you add Evan Mobley in there, that'll change things as well, because, you know, without Evan, I mean, things are very, very different for this Cavaliers team. So I think if you're going to, you know, yeah, you're going to be the rest of the season without Colin, but, um, you know, maybe you rely on Evan Mobley a little more in those fourth quarters, and maybe you rely on Evan Mobley, period, more. So um, I, I definitely understand your point that, yeah, it's a trickle-down effect, but I think that there's, you know, some good to come of it in, in you know, getting guys opportunities and experience. Yeah, I mean, Isaac's going to get more opportunities. He's gotten more opportunities, but now it's going to be up to him to take advantage of those opportunities and actually yep. do something with those opportunities, it certainly puts him in the spotlight. And and he's not Colin. Right. He's not. He's a different kind of player. Isaac's impact, the way that J.B. Bickerstaff has phrased it from the very beginning, Isaac's impact is going to be different than Colin's, and it's going to be different than Darius's, and it's going to be different than Ricky's. It's going to be different than anybody's on the roster because everybody has a specific role, um, and it's catered to the things that they bring to the table, both offensively and defensively. And it's nice when Isaac is knocking down shots the way that he did against Brooklyn, right? He made three threes in that game against Brooklyn, and he made one the other night against Phoenix. Um, But 
like for the most part, his offensive production has fluctuated his entire career, whether he was a rookie or early on this year. And for him, um, the, if, if he's going to play, you know, 25 to 30 to 35 minutes, there has to be more stability within his offensive production. And there has to be a threat out there on the court that defenses are going to have to pay attention to and defenses are going to have to respect. So I'm not giving up on Isaac Okoro. He's 20 years old. He's still trying to find his way. He's had multiple different roles throughout the course of his career and throughout the course of this season. But the truth is, like, missing Colin Sexton means other guys have to step forward and give more consistency and more stability. And Isaac has not done that with these bigger opportunities. And obviously, Colin's injury overlapped with Markinen being out and Kevin Love still coming back and, and Mobley being out. So it's hard to say that it's all Colin missing because they're just missing so much from the offensive standpoint. But, you know, the truth is Isaac has not been very good this year and he's got to be a lot better if he's going to command the kinds of minutes that he gets per game. You're right. You're definitely right in regards to Isaac Okoro. But um, somebody who has kind of stepped into a role and, and really, really run with it. And I think it's a pretty big surprise given, you know, that he was almost written off. I mean, a year ago. and <laughs> Almost written off. Well, pretty pretty much written <laughs> off. And, and all of a sudden, you know, out comes Jetty Osman and has been one of their better players. And, um, you know, averaging 11 points in 22 minutes and shooting the ball well from three. I mean, he's been, you, as you mentioned, one of their best three-point shooters. Um, you know, JB Bickerstaff took some accountability for for yeah. for um, Jetty's you know poor performance last year, saying he didn't have a or defined enough role, and now that he has one, he's dominating. I mean, the what do you make? I mean, how how has Jetty been able to do this? Is it is it as simple as just having a defined role and coming out and doing it to the best of his ability, or you know, is it just kind of a last year was so bad that he now is kind of a regression to the mean of the kind of player that he is? Well, I think it's a combination of things, right? Um, I think first and foremost, coming into this year, coming off the year that Jetty had, there was belief inside the organization that he was going to have a bounce back season. Multiple members of the organization said to me the same thing. They said, look, he is a career 36% three-point shooter who shot 30% last year. That's going to come back. Like the anomaly season was last year when he shot 30% from three. So he's going to shoot it better. And with that, he's going to be more confident and he is going to play better. That's what they believed. And and I thought to myself, all right, you know, you're just fooling yourself. Um, but it seems like there was something to that. The other part of it is, yes, I mean, I think unless you're a superstar in the NBA, Hayden, you have to have a clearly defined role. Because you need to know when you're going in the game. You need to know when you're going to play. You need to know where your shots are going to come from. You're so reliant on other guys to help you along. And I think Ricky Rubio has helped Jetty a lot. I think Darius has helped Jetty a lot in terms of allowing him to be the finisher as opposed to the initiator. I think simplifying Jetty's role has helped a lot where they're not asking him to do too much. 
Um, I think putting him back at his natural position, the small forward spot, has helped a lot rather than forcing him into a small ball four spot because you don't have any other options because of all the injuries and all the things that you were dealing with last year. I think there are a lot of things in play, but but I do think that the, the primary thing is that this is a role player. Everybody understands this is a role player. And now J.P. Bickerstaff has clearly defined this player's role and and they've tried to cater it to the things that he does well within the offense within the defense um and they're not asking him to do too much the way that they did at times last year and it's allowing him to just be himself and play with a freedom that he didn't last year right and it's it's certainly allowed him to clearly embrace and, and play well in this role. And it's definitely helped the Cavaliers out as Kevin Love and Larry Markin and, you know, return to action, as you mentioned, it's kind of helped them. And with Ricky Rubio being out as well, I mean, it's just, it, or not Ricky Rubio, sorry, Evan Mobley uh, being out as well. It's certainly, um, and any offense they can get at this point uh, is very welcome. <laughs> it's very, very welcome. I mean, the thing uh, that I, everybody always said about Jetty, whether it was inside the organization or outside the organization is that he's always going to be at his best when he's not doing too much. The more that you start to give him, the more that you start asking him to do, you get outside of the things that make him him. And I think at times, you know, the Cavs were asking him to do a little bit too much last year. Um, look, they didn't have a secondary ball handler. You know what I mean? Right. Like... It was Darius Garland and then, like, a bunch of dudes that you just threw in there. We've gone through the list. Yogi Ferrell, Damian Dotson had to run point at times. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah Martin. So, you know, Jetty didn't have Ricky Rubio getting good shots for him. You know what I mean? He didn't always have Darius Garland creating great open looks for him that he could knock down. He was trying to create those for himself, and that's just not who he is. Like, every now and then, yeah, like, when the defense dictates it, sure, you want Jetty Osman to attack off the bounce and get to the rim. Um, but for the most part, it's take and make open shots, man. That's 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 the easy way to say it, yeah. Exactly. Take and, re- take and make open shots. That's that's the NBA, you know. <laughs> that's as simple right. as it gets in, in basketball. Get out in transition and get easy ones, right? right? Cut away from the ball like the defense is going to hover too close to you out to the three-point line. Things along those lines. But, like, run, pick, and roll and be point jetty? Eh, no, probably not. Right. Not in uh, the NBA. Maybe with the Turkish national team, but not in the NBA. We're going to take a quick break here on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Again, talking with Chris Fedor, a Cavaliers beat reporter. When we come back, I want to take a look at what Kevin Love has been able to do this season, obviously coming off of uh, COVID-19 off the reserve list, as well as Larry Markinen. Stay with us. Be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We were just talking with Chris Fedor about Jetty Osman's great start to this season, his defined role. And I think when you look at another, you know, uh, veteran Cavaliers player in in number zero, uh, Kevin Love, who has, you know, been up and down and, and the last couple of years have been just, you know, pretty much awful um, for him personally, maybe even the frustration and, and his play on the floor have not been good. But thus far this season, 
Kevin's played 11 games, and he is second on the team player, player efficiency rating, uh, averaging 10 points a game, averaging 7.9 points or rebounds a game. I mean, doing some good things off the bench, which is a lot more than I think you would expect it of him before the season started. So what has been the difference to you, Chris, between Kevin Love this year and last year? Well, I Outside think you have to start with – I was going to say you have to start yeah. with the obvious, don't you? Right, yes. He's been healthy. He's been healthy, and I think the Cavs have believed, and Kevin has believed, that when healthy, when engaged, he can be a positive asset for this organization. I think he's shown that. Beyond that, again, I think it's the same thing with Jetty. He has a clearly defined role. The Cavs aren't asking him to do too much. They don't need him to be a focal point of this offense. They're, they're using him the way that you would think a team should be using a 33-year-old floor-spacing big man at the tail end of his career. Well, that's a, that's good. I mean, again, if they're a, if they're using him in the right role, then that's that's a great thing. But, I mean, like, the only reason that they can use him in that particular role is because they have other options um, to go to in different kinds of ways, right? right? Evan Mobley allows them to use Kevin this kind of way. Lowry Markinen allows them to use Kevin this kind of way. Um, when Kevin was out for last year, the year before that, the year before that, they felt that loss more because they just didn't have the guys that could step up and, and, and pick up that caliber production at the same level. Um, even Larry Nance Jr. last year was was out around the same time that Kevin was. He missed a whole bunch of games. So it was Kevin on top of Nance, and you just felt those losses in a different kind of way. Um, now, when the Cavs are without somebody like Kevin Love, if Markinen is healthy as well, if Mobley is healthy as well, you don't feel that loss the same kind of way. Um, and because of those guys, because of what they can bring offensively and defensively, especially the versatility that they bring offensively, like you don't need to run offense through a guy like Kevin because Darius Garland has matured more and um, he has started to figure out the NBA more. You can run offense through him instead of Kevin and like all those different things. So the truth is at this stage of Kevin's career, he is a role player who is going to be maximized when he doesn't play 30 minutes a night, when he doesn't get 15 to 20 shots a night, when he doesn't have a high usage percentage. He can just be the player that he has been for the Cavs um, when he wasn't uh, dealing with COVID. Right. And uh, Larry Markinen also dealing with COVID and uh, came back. And um, I think that Larry Markinen, obviously, we can't you can't start to judge these guys too much on, on what's been going on. But I think... Yeah. If anything, I think the best thing about Laurie Markkinen has been the fact that he's helped out Jetty and he's helped out Kevin Love and he's helped out Mobley. I mean, I think that that's kind of been his best quality thus far. I mean, obviously, I think they would like more from him, given the contract they gave him, given all, given all that. But I think thus far he's been um, helping in that way. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I think it's it's the kind of guy, like if you think about it the other night, who was it against? I think it was against Phoenix. Yeah, I think it was against Phoenix. I don't think it was Brooklyn. Maybe it was Brooklyn. It was one of the two games. It was either against Brooklyn or against Phoenix. The Cavs were using Markinen at the five. Yeah. 
they've used them at the three, they can use them at the four, they used them at the five, and they got away with it in one of those two games. So that level of versatility, that level of flexibility gives J.B. Bickerstaff so many different options, and he can help in so many different ways. And and look, Markinen, I think he still has some issues defensively, but he's been a more impactful and more active defender than I thought he was going to be, especially based on his reputation coming from Chicago. I mean, he's just, he, it helps that he's big. I mean, that any, yeah, it'll help seven that, feet, size of size. Yeah. You're right about that. Right. It helps, it helps in that way. But what do you think has been, you know, the help in, in addition to that um, on the defensive end for Larry Markinen? Playing next to Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Yeah, yeah, that'll help too. And so it's, that's, that's just, I mean, honestly, it's just the amount of sheer size that those guys have. I mean, it's hard. I mean, it, I, it would be hard pressed for them to be anything but great defensively. And the amount of sure defensive IQ that those guys have too. Yeah. It's part of the reason if we go all the way back to the very beginning of the season, Hayden, when the Cavs were determining, are we going to go with this tall ball lineup? Are we going to go with Markinen at the three? Part of the reason that they felt confident in it is because they knew Mobley and Allen could protect him. So even if you take Isaac Okoro out of that lineup, a defensive-minded guy, and you put Markinen in there, Markinen gives you more size, he gives you athleticism, and on top of that, he's protected by Allen and Mobley, who are two of the elite defenders in the entire NBA. So I was just thinking about this. I mean, you add Okoro to, I don't think, I don't. maybe they have, I mean, has it has there been a situation yet, and uh, where they've started Okoro, Markinen, um, Mobley, and Allen, or have the injuries and the COVID just taken that from? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I mean, I can yeah. look it up, obviously, but yeah. I can't remember yeah. off mean, the top of my head. If they, if they used, do, I want to say seven different starting lineups. Right. Well, I'm, I want to say if they, if they. If the Cavaliers play tomorrow night, if, if, you know, everything goes as planned and Evan Mobley's playing tomorrow night and whatnot, they could roll out a lineup of four plus defenders and Darius Garland. I mean, yeah, they could. that's that's a that's a that's something that they haven't had in a long time. And Darius deserves a lot of credit, too, Hayden. We understand that there are physical limitations for him, especially on the defensive end of the floor. But that dude competes on defense. Yeah. He tries to fight through screens. He tries to get up in guys. He tries to make the right plays. He tries to hold up at the point of attack. Again, it doesn't always happen for him, but he competes on defense and he has an awareness on defense too. And I think that helps him. That's really all you can ask for. I mean, seriously, defensively, the defense is a lot effort. Yeah, a lot. But since I brought it up earlier in the podcast, like I want to bring this home because I don't just want to say things flippantly. Mm-hmm. So Darius Garland in the last eight fourth quarters without Colin Sexton, 4.9 points, mm-hmm. 35% from the field, 10% from three-point range, 1.3 assists, 0.9 turnover. Yeah, is that what you're looking for? I mean, again, part of that, he's got to make shots. Duh. The other part of it is just defenses can approach him. 
they can use the first three quarters to figure out, okay, like what adjustments do we have to make? What kinds of schemes do we have to use? And then when it comes to the fourth quarter and winning time, they can make those kinds of adjustments and they can do different things against him defensively because, I mean, if he's playing with a Coro, what do you think the defense is going to do? They're going to sag off of a Coro. They're going to crowd the paint. They're going to make it tougher on Darius. Even if he's playing with Ricky, Ricky's a different kind of threat than Colin Sexton is. Right. So I believe Darius is smart enough and talented enough to figure it out. But to this point, I really do believe that the Cavs have felt the loss of Colin a lot in fourth quarters when when it comes down to just go get a bucket. Right. Create something out of nothing. Right. Break down a team. Teams are switching a lot against the Cavs. They really are. And what do you do against switchy defenses? Oftentimes you go ISO and you just break them down. Right? Because switchy defenses are designed to force offenses into ISO situations so that they can't pass the ball around, they can't cut as much, they can't operate the same kinds of ways. Um, you know, you need ISO attackers in situations like that. And the Cavs are missing their best ISO attacker. So I think, you know, opponents are more apt to switch against the Cavs um, without the fear of of getting burned by it as much as as maybe in the past. Right. I mean, and without Col- I mean, without Colin, though, I mean, those guys are going to have to start to step up. I mean, there's no yeah, they're going to have to figure it out. What, yeah. what the best way is to attack that. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and the best answer can't be you know, become a stagnant offense because yeah. too many times that that has been the case against these switchy teams. Right. Brooklyn switches a lot. Golden State switches a lot. Boston switches a lot. And just look at what has happened, especially in second halves, but at the ends of the games. The right. offense is bogged down and just hasn't functioned the same kind of way. You're right. Um, the Cavaliers, like I said, lose five in a row. Boston, Brooklyn, Golden State, Brooklyn, and Phoenix. I mean, that's a that's a tough stretch of games, no matter how you how you mark it down. Um, upcoming Orlando t- uh, tomorrow night at eight o'clock, and then at Dallas on Monday. So a couple of very winnable games there. Miami, one of the better teams in the league. Um, you know, at Miami on Wednesday, December first, and then Friday the third, they're at Washington. So, you know, that stretch of five games is tough. Uh, but they got four upcoming where you can maybe make a little ground there. And I know, we, you know, we're not going to play this. Whole, we're not going to play this whole schedule game the whole season, you know, all season long. Right. It's probably not going to be the case. But, um, you know, it, it really has been a brutal schedule to start. With the they played they played the they've played the Suns twice. I think, um, you know, they're in the they, they've won 13, 14 in a row at this point. They have played yeah. Portland. They have played Boston. They have played, you know, yes. L.A. The, I mean, just they've they've had a tough, tough go of it. And um, and things will start to slow down a little bit at some point, right? You know, the other thing that that I kept going back to when I got those initial text messages about Mobley and how it could have been worse, I was I was thinking in my own head, well, they're not going to bre- beat Brooklyn anyway, right? Right. They're not going to beat Golden State anyway. They're not going to beat Phoenix anyway. So. If you're going to go a stretch without Evan Mobley, one, it's one where there are some breaks in the schedule in terms of time off because yeah. the Cavs have had some of those. And the other thing is, well, at least it's when you had losses built in the schedule anyway. Right. 
With Mobley, I don't know if they would have beaten Brooklyn. I don't know if they would have beaten Golden State. I think they would have been more competitive. I think they would have been a much better defensive team. But I'm not sure that Mobley makes the difference between winning and losing those games that they lost during this stretch. Defensively, they have been so much better defensively with him on the court. In terms of rating, I mean, on the season... Their rating is 105.5. Over the last four games, their defensive rating is 113.9. Now, part of that's the the teams that they've played against. The other part of that is obviously Mobley being out. He is such a difference maker defensively. So I think they would have been better defensively against those teams that they've lost against, but, but I don't know that they would have beaten them. It's hard to say that. Right. I mean, but when you look back, I mean, when before then, you know, it's like, OK, probably not going to win, whatever. But then you look back and it's like, OK, um, you know, it was a very close game against Brooklyn. It was a very yeah, close game right. against Boston, very close right. game against, you know, they were very close games in a lot of these situations. So and they get. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, could they have. Yeah. Could Evan Mobley have provided the difference? Could college sex have provided a difference? Sure. But the but reality is the reality. Is, yeah. <laughs> The reality yeah. is they're nine and ten. I mean, that's it's it's kind of where they want to be this year. You know, tiptoeing around that um, five hundred mark and maybe you know pushing towards that eight seed. So you can't really be too too upset, given the injuries, given the time off that Kevin Love has had, given the time that Larry Markin has had. You know, without Colin Sexton now, given that Evan Mobley's been hurt. Um, you know, you got to be pretty happy with what you've seen from this team still, given the five game losing streak. The way they've played, absolutely. The way that they have fought, absolutely. The way that they have refused to make excuses and just give in, for sure. At the same time, at some point, these young teams have to turn these close, hard-fought losses into wins if you are serious about taking that next step, if you are serious about becoming a playoff team. Because at the end of the season, Hayden, it could be one or two games that ends up making the difference between making the play-in tournament, not making the play-in tournament, making the playoffs, or making the play-in tournament, however you want to break it down. Right. So when you play well, you want to win those games. And the Cavs played well against Phoenix, and they played well against Brooklyn, and they played well for three quarters against Golden State. At some point, you have to cash those in, because there are going to be nights, conversely, against some of these crummy teams where the Cavs don't play well, for one reason or another. They don't play well, they don't have it, and they may lose a game that you would think that they would win, and then some of those where they play well and they lose come back to bite them. Again, I didn't expect them to beat Phoenix, Brooklyn, Golden State, but the way that they played, you would have liked to win at least one of those if you're the Cavs. Of course, of course. I mean, every win, you know, in that situation, you're right. Every single win matters. So, um, yeah, I, I get, it's just, it's been exciting. It's been good. And I can't wait to see Evan Mobley back. I can't wait to see him, you know, getting back on the floor against, you know, potentially tomorrow night against the Orlando Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, because that's been, to me, that's been the highlight of the season is, is to watch him grow and to, to watch him, you know, start to really put it together and to be arguably the best rookie this season. And, if he can stay healthy, I think that there's, you know, there's no doubt that he'll continue to get even better and better. So, 
um, definitely, you know, looking to see him continue to uh, continue to show what he's made of out there. He just gives them so many different ways to play offensively and defensively. Yeah. And to me, he creates a secondary path to consistently winning games. Right. You can win games in the 90s because of somebody like Evan Mobley. If you right. take him off the court, you no longer have the same defensive chops. That's been proven over his absence. And on top of that, a big part of the reason why they get off to the the start that they got off to is because they're such a unique team. They're such a versatile team. They can run three seven-footers at the same time. You take Evan out of the equation, and you can no longer run three seven-footers at the same time. No. And, And they tried to stick true to their identity, right? They used Dean Wade, and he filled in well. And, and I think he was better defensively than I thought he was going to be, especially in certain matchups against certain teams. But what makes the Cavs different than any other team in the NBA is Markinen, Mobley, and Allen all together. Yes. Yes, it makes them extremely unique, and it's worked thus far. Nobody sure. has Nobody has that combination of sc- size and skill. Nobody. You're correct about that. And that's kind of what they wanted to do, I think. I think that's what they wanted to be unique. They wanted to, that's how they wanted to win. That was their path forward, yeah. Doing things differently. All right, before we get going, Chris, I want to remind everybody that you can sign up for Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. All you have to do is go to cleveland.com slash cash, click the blue banner at the top of the page, enter your phone number, and you should be good to go. You're going to get all kinds of analysis, insight, um, news, and information straight to your phone before it goes anywhere else, before it goes to Twitter or anything like that. Chris is going to send it straight to you. So subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial, all of the insight, analysis, and news that you need from Chris Fedor, our Cavaliers beat reporter. Um, Chris, we appreciate your time. Anything else you want to say before you get out of here? No, I think that's it, man. I think we covered it. All right. Looking good. Sounds good. Uh, Cavaliers tomorrow night in Orlando before they head back on the road uh, against Dallas, against Miami. So um, a tough stretch for them here, but getting Evan Mobley back this quickly would be a very, very, very good thing um, and a very lucky thing, you know, given that his injury, as you said, Chris, could have been a lot, a lot worse. So we hope you had a beautiful Thanksgiving. We hope you enjoyed that time and we hope you have a great weekend. We will talk to you soon on the One Gold Talk podcast. Have a great day. Take care.